calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. The radio squawked. 447, take a trespass at 1765 Lemon Tree Lane. Report of a man outside the house may be trying to break in. The fresh new officer grabbed the car radio mic with an enthusiasm his haggard field training officer remembered having long ago. 10-4 dispatch, show me en route, he said with a confident nod to his FTO. He set the mic back in place on the radio. His FTO, Toby, picked it up and put it in his lap. The new officer, Dan, gave him a sideways glance but didn't question him. So, potential B&E. I should roll fast but keep it quiet, Dan said. Quiet, yes, but roll slow, Toby replied. Slow? But what if... Toby interrupted him, leaning forward to breach his trainee's view. You and I ain't going to that call, son. We ain't going to any calls on Lemon Tree after dark. Wait, we can't just let a call go unanswered. What is this, a test? Is this like that Denzel movie Training Day? Toby chuckled. He knew the reference, and no, this was not like Training Day in the least. Not a trick, not a test. Just something you'll learn as you go, kid. Dispatch should know better, too. Guess they gotta follow procedure in case somebody sues or something. I gotta say, if I was told help was coming and it never did, I might sue too, Dan said. Nah, don't worry, Proby. Watch this. Toby picked up the mic in his lap and held it an inch from his lips. A few hairs from his goatee brushed dust and lint out from its plastic grooves. Dispatch, who's the caller on Lemon Tree Lane? A few seconds later, the dispatch came back with, She says she's the homeowner's daughter. Name's Veronica. If you need more, I can send it to your computer. Nah, nah, that's alright, just checking, thanks. Toby hung up the mic again. See? Just a kid. 
The adults, the parents, they know. They know how it works in that neighborhood. How what works? Dan asked. 447, dispatch called. This time Dan picked up the mic again. Go ahead. You can disregard Lemon Tree Lane. The girl's dad said it was a false alarm. Copy, dad said into his mic. But to Toby, he said, I want to drive by anyway. Nope, Toby grunted. Come on, it can't hurt. What if the dad's wrong? What if the kid actually did see someone? I'm sure she did, Toby replied. Dan looked at him, appalled and confused, then suddenly pulled the cruiser over to the side of the road. You want to tell me what's going on here? This isn't right. Maybe if you would at least explain... I can't explain the unexplainable, Proby, Toby said. You want it plain and simple? Lemon Tree Lane is haunted. Haunted? Haunted. So's most of Palm Boulevard and Cherry Street, the adjacent roads. They're haunted, Dan repeated, sounding reasonably suspicious. Hey, look, I know how it sounds. I would hope after riding with me for a few weeks, you know I'm not the superstitious type, though. This ain't folklore we're talking about here. It's real. Okay, let's say you're right, Dan speculated. What if a super unstitious burglar decided to hit that neighborhood tonight knowing the police apparently won't come? Unlikely he would get anywhere. Toby sounded entirely confident. When Dan didn't say anything, he continued. If some idiot decided to target that neighborhood, he wouldn't get to do much before the haunting chased him off. Dan asked, do you hear yourself? I do, answered Toby. They sat there on the side of the road in perfect silence for a couple of minutes before Toby said, You know what? It's just about time for break, don't you think? Ten minutes earlier, Veronica had woken up needing to use the bathroom. She hadn't wet the bed even once since turning six, and she couldn't have been more proud of herself. Her house made lots of noises at night, even some that sounded like whispers. Her mommy and daddy had told her over and over that nothing bad would happen to her, that the house might be spooky, but it wasn't dangerous. But still, Veronica always flipped on her bedroom light, the hallway light, and the bathroom light when she had to get out of bed before dawn. When she finished, she reversed the order, turning off the bathroom light, the hallway light. Then, when Veronica flipped the light switch on her bedroom wall, she saw a shadow move behind her curtain. The edges of the bright pink fabric glowed from the street lamp outside, but in the middle of the window, a dark shape cast a crisp shadow. It ducked out of view when the light went out. Mommy and Daddy had always warned her not to look outside after dark, but she was too curious to heed their warnings now. She ran to her bed next to the window, pulled the covers up over her head, and sat up just enough to reach the corner of the curtain. Peeking out from under her hot pink comforter, Veronica drew back just enough of the curtain to look into the front yard. A thick oak tree stood stoically against the cold outside. In warmer months, it looked like a grand guardian out there, but it had lost its last leaves weeks ago and now looked like a skeletal hand breaking out of an earthy grave. Veronica hated the winter tree and the spooky sounds it made in the wind, but this night, her eyes found something far scarier than the old oak. Someone was trying to hide behind it. He stood halfway behind the trunk and half exposed. He either had long, dark hair or wore a hood. She couldn't see him well under the tree's shadow, but she knew he was looking at her window. Whether he could see her or not, she couldn't tell. Veronica gently let the curtain fall back into place and reached for something else near her bed. Her starter phone. 
It was a cheap plastic thing her parents had gotten for her when she started going to school. It could only call three pre-programmed contacts, mommy, daddy, and by default, 911. That's the one she called. Veronica felt nervous as the phone rang and suddenly wished she had gone to her parents instead of immediately calling 911. She just didn't want to leave the safety of her covers. A serious-sounding woman answered, but when she heard Veronica's little voice, she softened. Veronica told the friendly dispatcher about the man outside, how she thought he had been trying to peek in her window and now hid behind the tree. The dispatcher assured her help would be there soon and asked her to stay on the line. Veronica felt better knowing a police officer was coming. She found the confidence to peek through the curtain again. The man was still out there, peering at her from behind the tree. She still couldn't make out his face, but she knew, somehow she knew, he had a wide grin stretched across it. Veronica relayed this to the dispatcher, who reminded her help was on the way. Veronica heard a board squeal down the hall. This did not alarm her, just caught her attention for a moment. Such sounds were suited to the nighttime atmosphere of her old house. At least tonight, there were no distant whispers. But then Veronica's bedroom light flicked on and she shrieked. Veronica, are you alright? The dispatcher's voice crackled through the phone's cheap speaker. Veronica shrieked again as her blankets were ripped out of her hands, exposing her to the dangerous world above the covers. But she saw with relief that the boogeyman was only her daddy. Veronica, what are you doing up? Who are you talking to? He asked. Then he heard the dispatcher asking for Veronica over and over. He picked up the phone and held it to his ear as his face flushed red. Hello? Who is this? He asked. Sir, this is 911 dispatch. Are you Veronica's father? Yes, Paul Connors. I'm sorry, did she call you? She says there's a man lurking in your yard. She says he tried to look through her window. Paul Connors turned and flipped off the lights. Then he went to the window and pulled back the curtain. He saw the man behind the tree peeking out, smiling. Looking directly at the lurker, he said, Ah, well, I'm looking out there now and I don't see a darn thing. You know how kids' imaginations are. I bet she just got spooked. Veronica started to protest, but her daddy held up a hand to shush her. Sorry to bother you. Please don't waste anyone's time coming out here. I'll talk to V about this, he said. That's just fine, sir. Have a safe night. The dispatcher hung up. Daddy, don't you see him behind the tree? Veronica asked, near tears. Of course I see him, sweetie, Paul answered. He's always out there, but he won't come in. Not unless you let him. But why is he watching me? Veronica asked. He isn't watching you, sweetie. I guess you're probably old enough to understand now. Scoot over and I'll explain everything. Outside the police station, Toby the FTO was gathering his things from the floor of the passenger seat. You eating in or going out? He asked his trainee, Dan. I think I'll swing through a drive-thru, Dan said. I didn't pack a lunch tonight. I got plenty of stew in my thermos for the both of us. Homemade, my wife's cooking. You can't go wrong, Toby offered. Tempting, for sure, but I want to grab a Coke anyway. I'll swing back over here in 30. Suit yourself, Toby said before shutting the passenger door. Before his FTO went inside, Dan saw Toby tilt his head toward his shoulder mic. His transmission came through the radio. Don't go getting into anything without me. Hit that drive through and come straight back. Dan blushed. Everyone heard that broadcast and knew who Toby was talking to. He picked up the car's mic and replied, 10-4, boss. It was a little early in his career for young Dan to start bucking orders, but that is exactly what he did. 
As soon as Toby's blue rear disappeared behind the station door, Dan pulled the car around in a U and put Lemon Tree Lane into the GPS. As Dan drove, he wrote a whole story in his head. It starred a valiant young police officer who defies his jaded supervisor. The young cop in the story trusted his instincts and went to an address where a little girl had called for help. Even though the girl was supposedly safe, this cop had a feeling something else was going on, and boy was he right. Dan imagined his mental doppelganger rolling onto Lemon Tree Lane to find, wouldn't you know it, a man dressed in black from head to toe just about to creep through an open window. The real Dan turned the corner onto Lemon Tree Lane just as he had imagined, and saw... nothing. Just an empty street. One street lamp glowed about halfway down on the left. There certainly didn't appear to be any problems here. Dan chastised himself for the disappointment he felt. He should have been happy that everyone was safe, especially the little girl who had called. He decided to drive to the end of the street just in case. He would cruise Palm and Cherry, too, then actually hit a drive through like he had promised to. He really did want a Coke. The story her daddy told her had been the most horrible, terrible, sad thing Veronica had ever heard. And he hadn't even told her what it had to do with the man she saw in the front yard yet. He told her about a time long before their town had been built. He explained that people used to travel in wagon trains when they moved out west. A lot of times, people who began these trips never saw the end. For one particular group, none of them did. Without going into detail, Paul told his daughter the whole wagon party was buried under their neighborhood. So who's the man behind the tree? Veronica asked. Something bumped on the ceiling above them, and neither seemed bothered by it. That guy out there is just one of them. Maybe he's a dad too. Maybe his kids ran off and are playing in our attic right now. Her dad pointed up to where the sound had come from. Why can't we see them? Veronica asked. She would have been scared if her father wasn't speaking of the ghosts with such casual dismissiveness. She mirrored his cool. Oh, I've seen a few of them every now and then, Paul said. It's hard to say how or why they appear when they do. Personally, I think it has to do with the lighting, and others have said electricity has something to do with it too. Greg, you know the guy down the street? He and I have written letters to researchers. They all think we're crazy though. Her dad left heartily there, slapping his knee and leaning back on Veronica's bed. Can't blame him, I suppose. How about laying down now, kiddo? Veronica laid back and felt a wash of sleepiness splash her mind. Her eyelids felt like those on a baby doll, sliding shut automatically when she laid down. She felt her daddy's strong hands tuck the sheet and comfort her tight around her little form, and he kissed her forehead. I'll just be down the hall if you need me, he whispered. Remember those little noises here and there are nothing to worry about. Don't bother them, and they'll leave you alone too. Daddy, Veronica asked, why do we live where ghosts are? Paul forced a smile. He said, well, honey, your mom and I always want to give you the best, and right now, this neighborhood is the best we can afford. To go anywhere else, well, there are things in those neighborhoods a lot scarier than friendly ghosts. I know it's not ideal, but until something changes, we just can't afford to live anywhere better right now. Oh, okay, Veronica said, yawning. Good night, Daddy. Good night, kiddo. Dan was making the turn onto Cherry Street when he caught a sign of movement. A lone bush in a poorly trimmed hedgerow rustled. Dan slowed, suddenly realizing he would have to call it in if he actually found someone sneaking around. 
Toby would be furious. Oh well, he thought. I'm just doing the job they hired me to do. He rolled down his window and came to a stop in front of the bush. It rustled again, more discreetly this time, like whatever hid behind it knew it was being watched now. Dan wondered if it was just a raccoon or a possum searching for a midnight snack. But before his eyes, a young man rose out of the bush. Not from behind it, but within. The man, who couldn't have been older than 19 or 20, gave Dan a look of total indifference, then turned toward one of the houses and started walking away. Hey, Dan shouted. He fumbled with his seatbelt while trying to keep an eye on the wandering man. Hey you, stop. The man didn't pay any mind to Dan at all. He certainly wasn't rushing to get away from the police officer, but he wasn't complying either. Dan finally got his seatbelt unlatched and his door open and stepped into the street. You, I'm talking to you, dude. He heard his own voice quiver. He was about to follow the young man into the yard, but realized he really should call his location in before engaging a non-compliant suspect. Dispatch from 447, he said into his radio. Go ahead, 447, dispatch replied. In the seconds it took Dan to decide how exactly he was going to phrase his call for backup, the radio came to life again with a familiar voice. Sit tight, 447. I'm already almost on you. The voice belonged to Toby, and he sounded annoyed. Not angry, but that could have just been his radio etiquette masking his true feelings. 10-4, Dan answered. Sure enough, a pair of headlights lit up the far end of Lemon Tree Lane a moment later. Toby rolled up to him in a cruiser borrowed from the back lot. He pulled in front of Dan's parked cruiser at an angle and rolled his window down. Did you forget Dispatch has a live map of all the cars? He asked. Dan had forgotten. Look, man, I just had a feeling. I couldn't keep patrolling without checking this neighborhood out. You weren't supposed to keep patrolling, Proby. You were supposed to hit a drive through Get back in your car. I can't yet, Dan replied. Toby left his car running but got out and stormed up to Dan. We're going to talk later. What were you going to say on the radio? Dan looked around but didn't see the young man from the bushes anywhere. There was a guy here sneaking around. He was right, right over there. I lost him though. Thanks. Come on, you certifiable idiot, Toby said, gesturing for Dan to follow him down the sidewalk. Dan obeyed. Toby could write him up for just about anything he wanted and get him dismissed. This is why the older officer liked to refer to him as Proby as often as possible, as a reminder of his probational status. Dan realized he had probably crossed plenty of fireable lines already and was probably lucky not to have had his badge removed on the spot. Toby spoke in hushed tones. Now, most of the ghosts you'll see out here are fine, maybe even friendly. They won't bother you anyway. You just want to make sure you don't run into the madman. The madman? Dan asked. See, way back before this area was settled, a group of pioneer families came through here seeking their fortune out in California. Story goes there was one guy among them who kept taking extra food, drinking too much water, and that sort of thing. Keep in mind, for those pioneer folks, overeating or drinking could spell out certain death later down the line. As Toby talked, the two officers walked further from their cruisers. Dan kept his head on a swivel, as they called it in training, watching for the young man from the bushes. So the group took a vote, excluding the thief, and they elected to abandon him. Supposedly, they tied him to a boulder, took all his weapons, and left him with enough food and water for a couple days. The idea being they would be long gone by the time he got free and he would just go on his own way or wait for another wagon train to come through. Only they didn't consider the obvious trail they were leaving behind 
or how quickly a man can move when he's not burdened by children and animals. The thief caught up with them that very night, right here, on this very ground. This guy, he's the one you call the madman? Dan asked. Don't interrupt me, Toby replied. But yes, we'll get there. One of the men in the group had shot a deer earlier in the day. They had butchered the thing and packed the meat and hide, but the thief found its fresh bones near the trail. He snapped a big tine off the antlers. When he finally caught up to the group, most of them were asleep. There was just one guy on watch, and the madman stabbed that tine right through his temple into his brain. Then apparently, without waking anyone up, he did the same to the rest of the group. Men, women, children, didn't matter. Stabbed most of them in the head, some in the heart. Jeez, Dan muttered. He had almost forgotten the young man they were looking for, but saw movement in the corner of his eye. He stopped and turned toward it, but as he stared at the house to his right, he didn't see anything or anyone. Keep moving, kid, Toby said. If you stop for every shifting shadow, you'll be in this neighborhood all night. You really believe these streets are haunted, Dan stated wondrously. You don't yet, Toby retorted. Let me finish the story, then you might. So, once the man finished his murder spree, he made himself a nice little camp. The next day, he drug most of the bodies out into the woods to let him get eaten. I suppose he would have lived in this spot as long as he could, surviving off the food stores and maybe hunting every now and then. But another group rolled through a week later. They arrived late in the night, having only pressed on so late because they had seen the smoke from the madman's fire and thought they'd meet another group. They found him fast asleep next to the glowing embers. He lay on a blanket that was raised a few inches off the ground like a neat little mattress. Not wanting to startle the strange lone man, one man from the new group approached him alone. He noticed a horrible stench. The guy smelled like a rotting corpse. Well, that was the right smell, but it wasn't coming from the sleeping man. The settler who approached him lifted the corner of the blanket and saw the man was sleeping on top of the children's bodies. They were all decomposing yet he continued to sleep peacefully on top of him. That can't be real, Dan said. You really believe that? It's all documented, Toby said. The historical society's got the original journals from the group that found the madman. You can read them yourself. So what did they do with him? Well, it was pretty obvious the guy wasn't right in the head. They shot his brains out without waking him up, and that was that. They buried him, those poor kids, and a few corpses they found out in the woods. Their bodies are still under the backyards of these homes here along Lemon Tree, Palm, and Cherry. Neighborhood's been haunted since it was built. Toby, think about it. When they built these homes, they would have dug foundations and basements. There's no way a bunch of old bodies could still be here. You're right, Toby said. Somebody most likely did dig up those bodies. Somebody who didn't want the press or the delays that would have followed. Most of us think they put those bodies right back in the dirt when they found them. Sounds unlikely, Dan said. Just telling you what I've heard. Hold up, Dan suddenly whispered, stopping, putting a hand on Toby's chest. Do you smell that? Veronica shivered. She was supposed to be asleep, and she had felt tired, but then she had started to hear voices outside. They weren't whispering like the ones she sometimes heard inside the house. These voices were speaking to one another. They didn't sound like spirits, either. They sounded like men. Now she wondered if she had been right to call the police. Maybe there had been a man lurking out in the yard, and now he had a friend. Veronica heard one of the voices spike in volume as it yelled, You! Stop right there! Don't come any closer! The second voice shouted, Stop! Police! 
Police? She thought. Had they come after all? Now more interested than scared, she sat up and put her head under the curtain to look out at the street. There, almost directly under the street lamp, were two police officers with their guns drawn at some point in the darkness. Stop moving and put your hands up, the older officer demanded. She thought he looked scared, but not as scared as his younger friend. Veronica heard a board creak in the hall and slipped back under her covers. Another board squeaked, then another, coming closer and closer to her room. She heard the hinges of her door open and she clutched the covers a little tighter. V, you all right? It was just her daddy again. She tossed the covers off and pointed at her window. Daddy, there's police outside, she said. Paul tripped over a stuffed bunny as he rushed to the window. He peered through the curtain for only a second before quickly exiting the room, muttering, No, no, damn it. Veronica followed Paul into the living room. He reached up on top of their bookshelf, patted his hand around, then brought it back down with something long and white in his grip. Even in the dark, Veronica recognized it as a part of a deer's crown. She couldn't remember what the right word for a deer's crown was, but she knew her daddy kept a few pieces of one around. With the crown piece in hand, her daddy went to the front door with Veronica in tail. He opened it and flicked the porch light on and off rapidly. Hey, Paul shouted. Hey, over here, get in here. He flinched back suddenly as one of the gun barrels swiveled in his direction. He said, stay back, V, then shouted, you gotta get out of the street, come on. Toby had stopped dead when Dan had asked, do you smell that? His sense of smell had been smashed by years of amateur boxing and high school wrestling, but even he could pick up a faint whiff of rot. Smells like roadkill. Something must have crawled under a bush and died, Dan said, but Toby wasn't listening. He was turning in an awkward circle, searching. Then, without warning, Toby drew his gun and pointed it up the street, out of sight. You, stop right there. Don't come any closer, Toby shouted. Dan copied Toby's stance and shouted, Stop, police! He could just barely make out the outline of a man's head and shoulders in the darkness ahead. The hideous odor now filled his mouth. He could taste the bacterial stench on the back of his tongue, and it made him want to puke. The man up the road took a few steps closer to them, and the reek thickened. Stop moving and put your hands up, Toby ordered. He's not stopping, Dan muttered. What do we do? Keep your head, Proby. Watch his hands. If one of them disappears, don't hesitate. Watch his hands, I can barely see the guy. Light reflected off the man's eyes and cast shadows off his large brow and thick nose. Long black hair framed his dirty face. His chest glistened too. It was wet. Keep your gun on him and back up to the cars, Toby ordered. Dan did not like how scared his seasoned FTO sounded. He jumped as something flashed in his peripheral vision. Toby jumped too. They both turned their heads and saw a stuttering porch light. Someone over there shouted to them. Let's go, Toby said. He ran toward the flickering light and Dan followed on his heels. They reached the screen door and found a man and a little girl standing in the dark on the other side. You all right? Toby asked. Don't play, I'm the one rescuing you here, the man inside said. Get in. Toby opened the door and let Dan go in first. Once they were both inside, he shut and locked both doors and holstered his gun. Don't you guys know not to be out here this late? And put that thing away. It won't do you any damn good. Paul pointed at the pistol in Dan's sweaty hand. I'm sorry, just who are you? Dan asked, stepping up to Paul. From the corner of his eye, he saw the little girl shrink back. Stand down, Proby. The man's right, Toby said, then faced Paul. 
To answer your question, one of us knows not to come out here, but the other is a glory-chasing hothead. Thanks for letting us in. If it's all right, we'll stay put a minute, let him pass, and be on our way. Take your time, Paul said, his voice sounding calmer. Veronica stood up again. Her daddy asked the older cop, Was it him? Toby nodded grimly. Sure was. Stinking as ever. He noted the antler tine in Paul's hand and said, Good thinking. Paul grunted and replied, It's not going to do us any good against him. No, they don't really have the same effect on him, do they? Toby said. What are you talking about? Dan demanded angrily. Toby put a hand on his shoulder and turned him away from Paul. He didn't realize that when he moved, the top of his radio bumped against a light switch. With every curtain drawn, no one noticed the porch light turn on again. Antlers, he said. When the spirits around here get a little worked up, the sight of an antler will usually put them back in their place. Most, if not all, of the houses on this block keep a tine or two handy. But the madman can't be scared off so easily, Paul said. I suppose it makes sense, seeing as it was his weapon of choice. None of this is real. It can't be real, Dan said. You go ahead and write me up or whatever. I'm out. He turned and grabbed the doorknob. No, probably don't, Toby shouted, but it was too late. As Dan opened the door, the wretched stench of death wafted into the house. Toby shoved Dan aside and grabbed the screen door, anchoring it with his weight. Get her out of here, he shouted to Paul. Veronica climbed into her daddy's arms and he lifted her up to hang on his neck. There's a safe room in the basement, Paul said. Go around the kitchen and you'll find the stairs. Got it, Toby grunted. The door was fighting him. Paul and Veronica disappeared. Proby, turn off the light. Dan hit the switch Toby's radio had bumped. The light went out, and the madman appeared. He glared at them through the screen, a look of maniacal, gleeful hatred frozen on his face. Ha! <sighs> the madman screamed. The rotting stench poured from his throat. He suddenly raised an arm and Dan's training kicked in. He drew his gun, firing six shots through the screen into, no, through their attacker. The bullets did nothing. The madman brought his clenched fist down on the screen and the officers saw he was holding a bloody antler tine. He sliced through the screen, playing connect the dots with the bullet holes. Go, Toby shouted, realizing holding the door shut would not keep the madman out anymore. He released the handle and pulled on Dan's uniform instead. They ran into the kitchen, found the stairs, and rushed into the basement. Dan paused on the stairs. He could have sworn he heard a voice down in the basement, but it hadn't belonged to the father or his little girl. It had sounded like an adult woman saying something like, near, or maybe here. Who else is in the house? He called down the stairs. Toby had already disappeared into the blackness below. Dan repeated his question. Nobody. My wife works the night shift. Now get down here, Paul hissed. There were footsteps upstairs. Dan sensed that evil smell growing stronger again. He lunged down the last few steps. Once at the base of the stairs, he saw a dull red light illuminating three people in a small room. Toby was gesturing for him to hurry, and he did. He was almost inside when he heard yet another voice. This one belonged to a child and clearly whispered, Stay. No, there's somebody else down here, Dan said. Damn it, boy, Toby swore. He reached out, grabbed Dan by the vest, and yanked him inside. Paul shut the door, then latched three heavy locks on the inside. Now Dan saw the red light came from a glow stick in the little girl's hand. Footsteps groaned on the stairs. The father held a finger to his lips. 
Toby reached over to Dan's radio and switched it off, as he had already done to his own. Couldn't have it making any unexpected noises. The last stare groaned, followed by a few seconds of total silence. Veronica looked to each of the three big men around her and wanted to cry. They all looked so scared. She held her daddy's free hand tightly. His other was still clenched around that antler tine. Something thudded against the door. Veronica shrieked. Paul squeezed her hand. Now something began scraping aggressively on the door. It sounded like chalk on a blackboard. Each quick, violent stroke seemed deliberate. The men waited for some kind of escalation, but once the scraping stopped, heavy footsteps fell on the stairs again. Then they heard the footsteps above them. And finally, the front door slammed shut. Paul sniffed the air, and Toby copied him. He's gone, the relieved cop said. Paul nodded in agreement. He stood and undid the locks, then opened the door. The cops filed out into the dark basement, and Veronica let her daddy carry her out after them. She looked back at the door once it was behind her, and, in the dim red light from the glow stick in her hand, she saw words there. Daddy, she said, tugging on his sleeve. What's that say? She heard her daddy swallow hard. Oh, jeez. I was afraid of that, Toby mumbled. What's it say? Veronica asked again. Um, it says... It says, you're lucky you got away, her daddy lied. What the madman had really scratched into the safe room door was far more threatening. Paul was glad Veronica couldn't read yet. In big, jagged letters, the madman had carved, Now I know where you hide. Toby noticed Dan shifting uneasily. He figured his probie was just responding to the sinister message, but then he noticed Dan's eyes flicking uneasily from side to side. Toby pulled him aside. Something bothering you, Proby? We've got to get them out of here. Let's take them to our cars, set them up at a hotel or something. These folks live out here, Toby said. They know how to stay safe. Toby, listen to me. We have to help them. He wasn't ready to admit it out loud, but when Dan had read the madman's message on the door, he had heard the other voices again. They didn't whisper this time. They screamed in piercing tones. In unison, they had begged, Save them from him. Dan's quivering jaw suddenly hardened. He remembered why he had come to this cursed neighborhood in the first place. A little girl had called for help. He would not leave until he knew she was safe. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. 
And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.